The reading from the Gospel according to Mark. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And Jesus said to him, Teacher, all of these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. When I lived in Texas a couple years ago, Father Stephen mentioned last night about his time in Texas, and I actually was able to live with him for the first year that he was there. But during my time in Texas, I was the spiritual director for a man who was a billionaire. He had retired by the age of 45, a very, very successful businessman. And somewhere around his, his late 30s, he began to have a bit of a, a reversion back to the faith. And I'll never forget one day in the midst of just talking with him, he was telling me about just his past and how successful and how blessed he was. And one day he said to me, he said, once you have everything of this world, you quickly realize it is not enough. I thought that was a very profound statement. Once you have everything of this world, you quickly realize it is not enough. And it points to what I like to call the human dilemma. Which is the fact that nothing finite satisfies us. But yet we try. And sometimes we, we force. We want to manipulate, to control. And yet, in the end, it never really works. And so, the world cannot satisfy us. It always leaves us desiring more. Think about this. How many times in your life have you found something 
or someone. And we're convinced that this is it. Finally, this is the missing piece of my life. This has been sort of the lost secret of my life. Whether it is a, a new car, a new church, a new job, a new spouse, a new diet, a new vacation. It's interesting, the, the world of advertising is keenly aware of this, right? Which is why they oftentimes try to convince us that we need their product. In advertising, they are trying to sell us something. And they do that by trying to convince us that this product is the missing piece to your life. Now, I would say in, in my own life, this has probably happened around 375 times. But here's the funny thing, from, in my life at least, most of these things are spiritual things. This new retreat, this new book, this new assignment, this new ministry, this is going to be it. My life now is going to be complete. It's funny, when I, when I joined Religious Life 16 years ago, there was a part of me that thought I would never have any more problems. <laughs> Very naive. In some ways, they only got worse. <laughs> but honestly, there was a part of me that thought, okay, if I just believe what is right, do what I'm supposed to do, I'm not going to have any problems. Ask Job if that works. A couple years ago, I was flying on a plane and I opened up inside the, the little magazine inside the seat, just looking, flipping through this magazine. And in the middle of this magazine was a flyer. It was an advertisement for Hawaii to come on vacation to Hawaii. And in this ad, you know, it had two uh, young people, I would say early 20s, sitting on a beach, sipping margaritas or something. The sun was shining, the water was crystal clear. They had this eternal look of happiness and youthfulness on their faces. And in letters underneath this picture, it said, come and visit Hawaii, the place where all your problems disappear. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. I wish such a place existed on this earth. Now, I've never been to Hawaii. It certainly looks beautiful. But we try to sell heaven on earth. And no matter how beautiful a place, situation, or even a person is, doesn't fully measure up. 
And so the conclusion is, is that the world is insufficient. And what does that mean? It, it doesn't mean that life is bad. In fact, it means that life is very, very good. It doesn't mean I shouldn't enjoy the things of this world. It doesn't mean I shouldn't enjoy a vacation. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't enjoy food and friendships and all the other beautiful gifts that we are given in life. It just simply means that the world is not enough. And there's a great tragedy that occurs when we try to make it enough. And this, I believe, is the background for the rich young man's encounter with Jesus. <clears throat> what do we know about this, this man? Well, we know two things. He is rich but also that he is sincere, right? This young, rich young man, it says, runs up and kneels before Jesus, recognizing there's something different about Jesus. And he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. It shows that this, this young man is alive, that he's not just sleepwalking through life. He's not malicious. He's not arrogant. He's not prideful. In fact, he's somewhat righteous because he tells Jesus, I have kept all of these commandments from my youth. Seems like a pretty good man. Someone you'd want your daughter to bring home. But according to Jesus, he is lacking one thing. God is not his all. Go sell what you have and give to the poor. And come follow me, Jesus says. Jesus is inviting him to experience the sufficiency of God. The fact that God is this more that we are always craving for. Jesus is inviting him to experience that God is enough. And mysteriously, he says no. Why does he say no to what would seem like almost a, a no-brainer? Isn't this what we're made for? Isn't this what I really desire? To experience that God is enough, that he is loving me, that he is the source of my life. 
He says no because he was possessed by his possessions. You know, it's one of the saddest lines, I believe, in in all of Scripture. When Jesus gives him this invitation, it says, His countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. On one level, he says no to the infinite for the finite. And on one level, this is about possessions. But on another level, this is not about possessions at all. It's about being attached to our possessions, being possessed by our possessions. St. John of the Cross gives a a beautiful example of this. He quotes Psalm 88, verse 15, when King David says, I am poor and in labors from my youth. Now, on a literal level, that's not true at all. King David was not poor. A great king who had many, many possessions. And so we can ask, well, how can he say, how can King David say, I am poor? And St. John of the Cross says that he can say he was poor because his will was not fixed on riches. And here's the sort of interesting twist. If he had been poor, literally, without his will being so, there would be no true poverty. Because the appetite of his soul would have been rich and full. And so what St. John of the Cross reminds us of is that true poverty is a matter of the will. That certainly for people like St. Clair, it took a literal fact, a literal interpretation in one's own life. But for most people, that's not the poverty God is calling them to. But he does call each and every one of us to a poverty of spirit, where our wills are not attached or possessed by the finite passing things of this world. Which, in some sense, is the real challenge. You know, I don't, I'm a, as a Franciscan, I don't really have a lot. And it's not difficult not having a lot. Because you don't recognize you miss all these things. But the challenge is, I believe, to have things and to use them, not as ends, but as means. For God's glory, for your, for your family, for your job, or in whatever way you are called to serve other people. That is the real challenge, I believe. And so when our possessions lead us or influence us 
to say no to the invitation of Jesus, not only are we fools, but we are really the poorest people on this earth. There is nobody more poor than the person who says no to the infinite for the finite. Because of this very fact that nothing and nobody can stand in the way of Jesus Christ in our lives. And it seems like right here is the tragedy of the rich young man. Something finite, the things of this world, which are not bad at all in and of themselves, has gotten in the way of Jesus. You know, in some sense, it's like being invited to the best restaurant and then turning it down for McDonald's. On one level, it's utterly absurd. And I would say most of us, at times in our life, including myself, no offense to McDonald's, spend most of our life eating at McDonald's when this other beautiful meal is being prepared for us. And so what about you? Let's forget about the rich young man for a moment. What in your life is prohibiting you? Or what is getting in the way of responding wholeheartedly to the call of Jesus to complete discipleship? And you know, for each one of us, it's going to be different because our, our, our paths are different from one another. But what in your life is maybe getting in the way or not allowing his grace to flow as freely and as smoothly as he desires? You know, a couple, I think, common sense answers that we all know is sin obviously can get in the way. It can cause a bit of a, a roadblock. It doesn't eliminate God from our life, but it can cause obviously some bumps. And yet God works through it mysteriously. As Paul reminds us, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. An over-attachment to material things, a disordered concern for my health or my reputation, what other people think of me. All of these things, these are very natural human tendencies that we all struggle with. But they all can become blocks in responding to this deeper intimacy that Jesus calls us to. You 
And I think we all are aware of this. And I would like to focus on something a little more subtle. Something we, may not, we might not be so aware of. And that's namely how spiritual things, the things of God, can sometimes become an obstacle in our relationship with God. That almost might sound like a contradiction. How can the things of God get in the way of our relationship with God? And the answer is very simply. That is the number one temptation that devout people face. St. John of the Cross in his in his book, The Dark Knight, in the very first chapters, he has what's called the imperfection of beginners. And his whole purpose of writing is, is to lead people to more deeper, more intimate levels of relationship with God. And he starts off, before we can even move into these things, by listing this, this series of what he calls imperfections, oftentimes found in beginners. And I'm just going to mention five of them, because I think they're very important. So the first one, he says, this imperfection. So his recommendation is all of these things that I'm going to mention, how they need to be purified, how they need to be cleansed, because there's something inordinate about them. There's a little block here that we oftentimes don't see. And the first thing he says, the first imperfection, people desire to speak of spiritual things in other people's presence, sometimes to instruct rather than to be instructed. So what's the issue here? Someone wants to be recognized as a spiritual authority. Somebody wants to look holy, like they have it all together. That, he says, is a major obstacle. What's behind that? Pride. Probably many other things as well. The second one, he says, these beginners, some of them, he says, weigh themselves down with over-decorated images and rosaries. At one moment they are exchanging and the next re-exchanging. Turning sacramentals into jewelry, signs of our faith, or signs as a way to show people, look at me. The third imperfection. He says, through an in, a certain zeal, they become angry over the sins of other people, reprove these other people, and sometimes feel the impulse to do so angrily 
setting themselves up as lords of virtue. Now, he's not condemning the need at times to, what we call in religious life, fraternal correction. Sometimes people need to be challenged, especially when they're doing something or living a certain way that we know is, is hazardous to their soul. But what he is condemning is a pharisaical attitude or disposition that puts me, the corrector, as sort of the lord of virtue. Better than you. How can you be struggling with this? What is wrong with you? The fourth one, he says, in receiving communion, they spend all their time trying to get some feeling and satisfaction rather than humbly praising and reverencing God dwelling within them. They think if they do not have any sensible feeling and satisfaction, they have accomplished nothing. So what's the danger here? Reducing God to a sense experience. I have to feel something. If I'm not feeling something, I'm not doing this right. That is a self-centered spirituality. Don't get me wrong, consolation is wonderful when it happens. St. Ignatius says, if you're being consoled, it's like a waterfall. You stay under that waterfall until it dries up. But the mistake comes when after it's dried up, we go back to it and try to make it happen again. God can never be manipulated. The last one, he says, these people feel sad about the spiritual good of others. They experience grief in their neighbor who is moving along on the road to perfection, and they do not want others to be praised. Learning of the virtues of others makes them sad. And so what's behind this? A certain amount of jealousy, competition. Again, these are all very normal human traits that we all have to struggle with. But what's interesting is that what do all of these things have in common? They are, in and of themselves, good things. We're talking about spiritual things here. Spiritual conversation, rosaries, consolation, a distaste for sin, and the spiritual good of others. What's the problem? Well, these beginners, as John says, have turned all of these things into ends and not means. In other words, they have become substitutes for the living God. In the Old Testament, we would call them idols. And so the, the point here, I believe, is that if we become fixated on anything, even something sacred, we are stopped 
in our journey to God. And what's the solution to this? Well, John says quite simply, it's the dark night, which is another word for a very painful purgation initiated by God so that we can grow up. In our humanity, we experience this often as the rejection of God. God has abandoned me. Why is God doing this? Why is he not giving me consolation? Why does it seem like everyone else around me is becoming holier and I'm becoming worse? What is wrong with me? That person doesn't love God the way I do. Look at all the things I do for God. Jesus is trying to purify us from these attitudes, from these dispositions, because they are putting little roadblocks in our path of growing in faith, hope, and love, which are really the only means of growing in holiness. Consolation or winning the esteem of other people or being recognized as being holier or whatever, in some senses, is meaningless. It doesn't reveal anything about a person's true disposition before God. There are good things for sure, but it's faith, hope, and love that ultimately draws us into deeper union with God. And in order for that union to be full and mature, it has to be purified from any selfish ambition or interest. And so what's the point here? It's simply that nothing can get in the way of Christ in our life. And so the lesson, I believe, of the rich young man's encounter with God is that God is sufficient. God is enough. Not the things of this world, not even the things of God, but God alone. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are not sufficient of ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God. Paul's whole boast of his life was, was not what he did or was doing for God, but what God was doing for him. In fact, Paul would boast, if he would boast, he would boast of things like his weaknesses, all the trials, all the temptations, all the storms he had to face in, in trying to proclaim the gospel. And in a very mysterious way, it made Paul realize God is sufficient. I am not. I believe that one of the, the tricks, one of the most common tricks that the enemy uses is trying to convince people who are moving along in their relationship, who are really beginning to grow deeper in their relationship with God, oftentimes, oftentimes comes the temptation I'm missing out on something. Or 
Another one is the enemy oftentimes will instill fear inside of people and they'll say, I'm amazed by how many times I hear this in people in spiritual direction and, and confession and I myself have said it, probably will continue to say it for as long as I live, but they'll say, I'm afraid of what God is going to ask of me. When I hear those words, either in my own heart or from another person, that is clearly the voice of the enemy. The only thing God is asking you, inviting you to, is the fullness of love, of life, and of happiness that comes through following him. It's very rare that God is going to ask you to do some great work like something like Mother Teresa or St. Francis. If he does, well then that's great. Please say yes. But for most of us, it's not going to be that extreme on an external level. The challenges in our ordinary daily life, when the temptation to check out from my family, from my religious community, from my church, or from whatever it might be, to sort of check out from them and, and kind of walk my own path, That's really where the battle is. You know, I often wonder what happened to the rich young man. And in my own meditation, this doesn't have any historical foundation, but sometimes I imagine him as an old man, as a, as a sort of spiritual director. And people come to him and they share with him their problems and their struggles in, in trying to follow Jesus. And I imagine the rich young man sitting there, listening to them, sympathizing with what they're saying, being compassionate towards them because he knows what the struggle's like. But then at the end, I always hear him say to these people, don't settle for anything less than Jesus. I did once, and I have regretted it every day of my life. My brothers and sisters, let us pray for the grace to not settle for anything less than Jesus. Because after all, it's him who we are made for. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.